Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Bengalis in New York show. My name is Arik and uh, we were repping it for, you know, the Bronx, Manhattan, Brooklyn, Queens, Staten Island, and all over the world. So welcome and enjoy. So one of the best things about having a podcast is I get to talk to people that are a lot smarter than I am, which, is, which happens often. Uh, so today we have two people that are definitely smarter than I am. We have Tanvir Karim, who's, uh, who's at Harvard. He's studying astrophysics. And uh, my friend Sarwar, who's really into science and has always been smarter than me also, is really has some great questions to ask Tanvir. So I, I think uh, we'll have a really cool conversation. You know, before thinking about today's episode, one thing I realized, Tanvir, I want to get your thoughts on this, is sure. I grew up in the 90s and, you know, X-Files is a big show. Yeah. And I think in the, in, the, in the 90s or even to early 2000s, if you were someone that believed in aliens or someone that even brought up the fact about life in other space, you would have thought, people would have thought you were crazy or you were wacko, but that's not the case anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think now it's more uh, mainstream. Why do you think that is? I feel like there were always people who thought, like believed in it or... Um, I guess like it's also depends on the question, what do you mean by belief? Because I do think that if you use probability or statistics, uh, I, I think that pe- like astronomers in general have always thought that it's extremely unlikely that life would not exist. Um, I think the hesitation where, where like uh, astronomers tend to draw is that when we think about aliens, we think about like, uh, HULs, like like War of the Worlds and things like that, where you have these like crazy smart aliens coming in and trying to take over the world. Uh, but I think like when when astronomers mean aliens, they're mostly I think thinking about like microbes or some like simple life form. So that's I think like an important distinction. And when you make that distinction, uh, it's actually pretty easy to convince an astronomer to come on board in, in believing that uh, life probably exists because um, I think like the more data we have collected. Uh, we have seen that just how big and expansive the universe is. Uh, you know, like uh, we think there are at least about 100 billion galaxies. Each galaxies harbor somewhere between uh, 100 billion to a trillion stars. And each stars, for example, our own sun has um, about eight or nine planets, depending on whether you like Pluto or not. Uh, so if you just do the multiplication, I mean, the sheer volume of planets like across the universe, it's just, I think it would be pretty sad if we were the only uh, things uh, around. So yeah, I think, I think solely by that logic, I, I would say that you can convince most astronomers to admit that, yeah, they, they do have that uh, wishful thinking that the, 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 it is likely that life is out there. What would you say to someone that says, listen, we have all of these problems on, on this planet. We have civil unrest, we have hunger, uh, why, why should we spend so much time and money thinking about what's out there? I think that's a very valid question. And I think uh, as society, we always have to sort of decide, uh, like, how much money do we want to put in over there? So I'll, I'll answer it like two ways. One would be a pragmatic answer. And one, I think, would be a more philosophical answer. Uh, the pragmatic uh, answer would be that the amount of money that really goes into like these type of fundamental and basic sciences is not really anything compared to like all the other projects that we do. 
Uh, for example, the the astronomy community receives like roughly, I think, about like $15 billion a year from the government. Now, that might sound a lot, but when you put it into scale against things like, you know, how much money goes into uh, like the defense contractors and other places where you might have more ob objections uh, or you might have other opinions compared to that it's really not that much like it's uh, like if you if you do a ratio of how much of your tax money is going um, it's probably like a dollar or something a, a year so I think like in terms of that uh, it, it, there is some some logic to it and also the other pragmatic answer is uh, if you look at NASA, like all the technology that they have come up with, like you, like we have been able to like spin them off and actually like for every dollar you put in, um, like the technology they came up with actually has been good enough that like it, it made return on itself. For example, like Velcro was actually invented by NASA because they wanted to figure out how to like strap these astronauts when, so that they wouldn't fly away, like while they were uh, outside Earth. Uh, now, the more, uh, I think, aspirational or philosophical answer, um, I, so uh, I, I like to, like, quote this, like, short story, uh, like, some of you might know, like, the Fermilab, uh, which is, like, this, like, big research enterprise that's right outside Chicago, and they do, like, fundamental sciences over there. So back in, I, feel like, I believe, like, back in the 50s or 60s, like, when they, there was a discussion, uh, just like you know what we're having right now like senators were asking the founding director like why should i give you money uh like shouldn't it it doesn't it make more sense to give this money to the military because it's the cold war right like everyone is worried in the u.s and he said that that yes basic science in itself is completely useless you do not have any monetary value of it but in some sense it's you know kind of like like a good piece of art, like Mona Lisa or things like that. Like it by itself, it doesn't have any inherent value, but it is what makes uh, this country worth defending. So that's what he said, is that by itself, our basic sciences are worth nothing, but the things we do is what makes us proud because like as humanity, we sometimes have to ask, like where do we ultimately want to go? And when you think about that, uh, of course, like, you know, like, when you have figured out like food and like those kind of things, I feel like it is the natural human tendency to ask the questions like where we, where did we come from, who we are, and I think that's sort of like where, uh, like this type of sciences can come and sort of like motivate that conversation. Yeah, and you know, to kind of um, harken on what you're saying about the, the spending, I think I saw like there was a New York Times article that came out in 2017. There was like a government. Uh, black project that spent like $20 million or something looking into potential, uh, well, I'll say it, UFOs, right? You know, traveling or going around um, Navy ships and there was an investigation done of that. But if you look at how much money was spent, if it's $22 million is nothing compared to like the billions that are spent on uh, like defense contract and stuff like that. And just in general, like uh, like you said, like NASA, they don't, I don't think uh, they received the funding that they that they should. You know, our future is probably um, in the cosmos. I think that's where we're heading. So yeah, Cam um, uh, mentioned. You know, he mentioned that I'm smarter than him, which is not true at all. But uh, I'm I am a. You know, I've been in uh, banking and finance my whole career, but I'm a huge fan of uh, like astrophysics and science in general. So. 
with that being said, you know, for yourself, I just wanted a general background and understanding of like what got you interested in uh, studying uh, astrophysics. Yeah. Um, so uh, to give a little bit of background about myself, uh, so I, I grew, I, I was born and raised in, in Dhaka, so that, that's where I grew up, and um, uh, my family moved to the U.S. Uh, back in 2012. So I really have been living in the U.S. for about eight years. So I would say, like, my childhood is, has been pretty much uh, back back home in, in, in Dhaka. Mm -hmm. So. Um, the interesting thing is that uh, I remember like the very first book that my mother bought me was this uh, Bengali uh, kids book. It was called Gablur Gun Diary. So like Gablu's science diary where like Gablu was this like six-year-old kid who was very like, who was very interested in asking questions. So like the book was written in a format that it's like his like personal little notebook where he would ask his mom and dad oh like what are planets like what what is this or what is that and I remember uh reading like for the first time in my life I think like at the age of like five learning that there are different planets seeing like pictures of Jupiter and Saturn and even reading about the possibility of finding like little green men on Mars well wow. uh, it just like yeah I feel like that just blew my mind and I think that blows any five-year-old's mind that like there is like this like endless possibility so I think like that made me want to like th at that point I think like many kids I was I, I told myself I want to become an astronaut I yeah. didn't really know the difference between astronaut and astronomer. <laughs> I think the more I read, the more I fell in love. And that sort of like led me to where I am. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty amazing. I, I think a lot of kids have aspirations like that. But the fact that you are actually, you know, putting what you desire to study, making it a reality, I think that's amazing. So people intimidated by you when you like speak to them about what you're studying, it's, it's, it's a good question because I think that um, I have noticed uh, when I tell people what I study, I, you know, like people will usually look at me a little bit differently or respond a little bit differently. It's, I, I think that's something I'm still kind of like getting used to, uh, just that like awkward stare <laughs> for, for the first couple of seconds. Uh, but I do think that part of that reason is that for a lot of us, we tend to think that anything associated with math or physics is very difficult or it's very convoluted. Um, so um, I became very interested in um, like science outreach as sort of like my pastime hobby. Like, uh, so sort of like my goal is the thing I'm doing, uh, the, the way I see it is most of it is coming from like taxpayer funding. So it's sort of like my obligation uh, is to make sure that my science is understandable by people who are helping me uh, do all of this exciting thing. And if, I feel like if I can't translate it into uh, like la uh, layperson term, then it's my uh, inability as a scientist to make other people excited. So, and I think like I have uh, as a result, like I try to like practice like elevator elevator pitches or try to find analogy about my research and I have seen that once I'm I'm engaging with someone um, and I try to like explain it uh, like without using jargons people do tend to understand because I don't think that people uh, I, I think like as society we don't give ourselves more credit uh, but yeah. I do think that you know once you have a conversation like a dialogue uh, 
people tend to follow and get more excited. And that makes me happy because other people are excited about the, the work that I do. How would you explain um, astrophysics to a five-year-old? Ooh, that's, um, I would probably approach the same way that excited me as a five-year-old because I think, I feel like that's a good example of like how like communication can work. Um, so uh, I think like if you're just having conversation, uh, I think like in general, kids tend to get very excited by the idea of like other planets, like life on other planets, uh, or like the idea of like galaxies and things like that. So I think like starting from there, like starting from information people already know or kids already know, like that's always a good place to start from. And then you can say like some really cool facts. And I think that always uh, like gets people going. And sometimes what I also do is I, as you can see in my background, like I have a telescope. Sometimes I'll like take the telescope and I'll just engage with the public. And if there's like Saturn or Jupiter out, uh, you can actually see it clearly with, with this telescope because these are big enough planets. Nice. And I always love the part, like reaction of, of someone who sees Saturn for the first time in their life because wow. you've heard about the rings, but for most people, they've never experienced it. So for me, it gives me a lot of joy just seeing other people that excited. So I think like, yeah, that, that's how I try to engage. <laughs> Yeah, that's pretty amazing. Uh, and I think in the last couple of days, um, I think Mars was pretty close to Earth. Yeah. <laughs> and it, I read it in the news, like, uh, everybody was pretty excited to you know, get a view of Mars because it was moving kind of close to Earth. So what would you say, you know, what kind of background would you say is necessary to be successful in, in this field? So I think ultimately, like, this is a... Uh, basic science. So if you do want to make a career in this, uh, like you have to enjoy uh, doing research, like if you want to go the more traditional route. So that would mean um, if you're in high school, like taking physics classes, math classes, uh, in undergrad, you would ideally want to major in physics uh, or, or astrophysics, uh, like something related to that. And then you go to grad school, you do your PhD because sort of like PhD is like the minimum requirement uh, to be a researcher and then you do postdoc and then hopefully you land a faculty position. Now that's like more like the traditional way of doing things but like you might have read in, in newspapers that science nowadays is done by a group of people like it's more collaborative than it was before. So um, nowadays like we like you'll see in projects, there are a lot of uh, computer scientists, a lot of people coming from statistics backgrounds mm -hmm. uh, because, this, because we need to write codes that are highly optimized to process like high volume of data. And we're not yeah. trying to do that. So yeah. we need them. Uh, and same well, with statisticians. It's like a lot of um, artificial intelligence looking oh, at yeah. data. Yeah. yeah. But I'll be, you know, uh, I asked you, you know, what do you think it takes to become an astrophysicist? Actually, funny story. My son was born. My wife asked me, what do you want him to be when he grows up? I told her, I want him to be an astrophysicist. <laughs> so I already setting the bar pretty high. So now we're going to get into the really tough questions uh, that Sarah came up with. And honestly, to, to study, I was watching so much videos, some, some videos on YouTube, and there's so much content out there about dark matter and energy. But, you know, I wasn't... And I, I, I'm not even going to pretend like I even understand the questions. So, uh, Sarah, go ahead. Yeah. So, 
um, I watch, uh, you know, I watch a, a few famous scientists, astrophysicists like Neil deGrasse Tyson, Michio Kaku, and uh, on their podcast, they have like questions that um, like, I guess their fans or general, the general public sends them and they try to answer it. So that's how I kind of based it off of. And uh, these are just questions that I also have interest in. So I, I, I looked through some of your papers and um, so that you, you know, these, these topics might sound like really sophisticated, but um, I'm pretty sure you can, you know, break it down for the, oh, for my best. the general <laughs> listener. Yeah. So, you know, uh, uh, so dark matter, um, it's makes up about 90% of the universe a, as we know it. Right. Um, so what's the difference between like the dark energy as you talk about it in your paper and, and the Hubble constant. And if you can just explain those two as well. Yeah. So uh, it's sort of like, I think the, the three, three things you hit it, like are the bread and butter for the project that I'm involved in. Um, uh, I, so I work for this big collaboration called the Dark Energy Spectroscopic Instrument. Mm-hmm. Funnily enough, I think for all the all the, all the all the brown listeners, you can imagine that the acronym stands for Desi, but Desi. like Desi. So first, mm-hmm. the first time I, I I heard of that, I was kind of confused, like why that was so. Uh, but then they told me that oh, the pronunciation is actually Desi. So I was like, okay, okay. I'll, I'll stick to that. Um, so uh, to, to address your question, uh, broadly speaking, if you believe that Einstein's general relativity is the way that the universe is governed, and there are really good reasons to believe so, because so far we have done a lot of experiments and the, that theory has come off uh, the flying colors, like there are no questions about the validity of it. So assuming that is true, um, and if you do some de- derivations, like using some assumptions, uh, you come to this conclusion that there are three major components to our universe. Uh, the first component are what we called baryons. So this is like fancy physicist term for calling things that are visible. And by visible, I really mean things that are made up of like protons, neutrons, electrons. So like you, me, star, plants, like our uh, planet, galaxies, and things like that. Like, and remember what I said earlier that there are about like hundred billion galaxies that we mm-hmm. think exist and things like that. Now, the really mind-blowing thing is all of this we think only constitutes five percent of the entire universe. If you do sort of like a, a mass and energy budget, wow. and why do I say mass and energy? Uh, Probably you're familiar with Einstein's most famous equation, E equals mc squared, which is Mm -hmm. energy is equal to mass times speed of light squared. Mm -hmm. And what this equation really means or tries to do is it says that, look, energy and mass are simply like two sides of the same coin. And so that's why like in physics uh, terms, we tend to equate them uh, and, and call them the same thing. So... All of us and everything, we form only 5%, all those 100 billion galaxies. Then we say that the 23% of uh, the rest of the stuff is something called dark matter. Now, what is dark matter? Like the name dark matter is really sort of like a placeholder because we don't really know what these things look like. But we do think that 
uh, among stuff uh, or matter, they form the bulk of it. And as you said, like like ninety percent. Now you might ask, why do we think this thing exists if we have never seen it or have detected it? Well, uh, there were some like different experiments that were done, and I will like briefly mention like one experiment, uh, which comes from uh, Dr. Vera Rubin. Uh, she was a uh, graduate student like back, uh, I believe, like in the late '60s, and so what she was trying to do is measure. So like we live in the Milky Way galaxy and yeah. like the sun is like on the outer side. And so what she was trying to measure is how fast are the stars at the very edge of the galaxy rotating with respect to the center. And, you know, like if you have um, like, you know, seen, seen like big things sort of like rotate, you see that like, uh, like if you have like the same amount of energy, the farther from the center you go away, like the slower the thing moves because it has like less energy and it, like it's like covering mm -hmm. like, uh, distance. However, when she, and, and because it, because of that, like that thing also should, like its speed should go down. Uh, like it, it shouldn't have a lot of speed. But what she found is that like after a certain radius, the speed doesn't go down, but the speed actually remains roughly constant. And this was very puzzling because either uh, she got the calculation completely wrong, but that was not the case because this was like verified in very many different ways, or in our galaxy, there has to be a lot of unseen matter. And back then, people thought that these are dark matter because we just don't have good enough telescopes to see them. And the name stuck. Oh, uh, uh, makes Yeah. But when we sort of did more research on this, like the, the craziest thing is, the, the galaxy, the Milky Way, has to be composed mostly of this thing. Like, all the visible stuff is actually a very small percentage. And if you account for dark matter being, you know, at that ratio, uh, where it's almost like 90%, that's the only time you can explain this sort of, like, rotation, like, why these things still have a high enough speed. Um, and so that's, like, sort of, like, what, what led to, like, people thinking about this. And then there were like other experiments that were done later on, which also requires existence of unseen matter. And so it's sort of like, there are too many experiments that are telling us there needs to be more matter in the universe, but we just don't know how to find them. So this is what it is. Like dark matter is simply like a placeholder term um, mm. for those things. Um, and the last component is dark energy, which is the, the, the first two letters of the collaboration that I'm working with uh, in DESI. This thing, this, this really weird thing, we think makes up 67% of the entire universe, like rest of it. Like this is like what the universe is really made of. Um, mm. not, not us, not dark matter. Like we're just minuscule things. So what is this dark energy? Um, so... Uh, you might have probably heard of like Big Bang, and so you know, like we we think that the universe is expanding, mm -hmm. and so the way that someone um, can tell that whether like observationally, like the universe is expanding or not, is you observe really far away galaxies, and you know, like if if something is moving away from you, like if something is like expanding, uh, things that are farther away from you should have like a higher speed than things that are closer to you because like everything 
like the thing that is farther away is like moving away. Uh, mm-hmm. So like everything should be like moving away. And the way you can do this is like you might have heard of the term like Doppler effect. Uh, and this is really, you know, like when an ambulance is coming towards you, like the pitch goes up and then when it leaves, like goes away from you, the pitch goes down. You can do the same thing with light. Like when something comes towards you, it becomes bluer. When something yep. goes away from you, it becomes redder. So the red shifts, as they call it. Exactly, red shifts. And so mm-hmm. what we really do is we try to measure how red galaxies appear, like the farther gal- like the galaxies that are really far away. And mm-hmm. so uh, when like this study was being done, um, what you know, like, like in, in like the normal big bang paradigm, like we're seeing that things are expanding and, but you know, like we say that there's gravity and like gravity is an attractive force. Like matters always will attract each other and uh, matters will try to come together. So back in the nineties, like there was this idea that of big crunch, that, that, that like people would think what's the ultimate fate of the universe. Yeah. The and big they, like a lot of people said that, well, you know, like, it's almost like a rubber band situation. Like you have these matter like moving away from you. And then suddenly you have like force of gravity that wins over and it should bring everything back. So it's almost like a rubber band situation where things expand, but then gravity wins and then things come back and the universe contracts. But what they saw is that things that are farther away are actually moving away even at a faster rate than things that, that are closer to us. Mm. And the only explanation, and this is where the term dark energy comes, is that we say this is a placeholder explanation because we don't really know what this thing is. But what this, what this really means, like in, in, in short, is that we think as the universe expands, there is this mysterious energy that is everywhere. Um, I know it kind of like sounds almost, I don't know, like metaphysical, but there is this thing that's everywhere. So as the universe expands, uh, you can see that like the volume of the universe increases, right? Because if, if it goes from like, let's say the universe was the uh, size of a tennis ball, now it's growing to a size of a basketball, suddenly mm-hmm. volume has increased. The amount of matter, like, like us, like amount of stuff is, is constant, like stuff, like say stuff. So that means as the volume goes up, if, if the amount of stuff is the same, then the density goes down. So like, in other words, matter becomes very dilute as the universe grows older. Now, what's really interesting about this dark energy thing is that as, but its density never goes down. So in other words, as new space is being created, uh, you have this like spontaneous creation of like new dark energy, like so to speak. So Mm -hmm. if you're, like one cubic meter becomes two cubic meter and you have like one kilogram of stuff, the, the density goes from like one kilo over meter cube to half a kilogram over meter cube. But as soon as you have like two meter cubed, the density of the dark energy simply doubles because that's just like what its property is. Now, if you ask me why that's the case, the honest answer is I, I don't know. And that's, I think, well, what makes like, research like this very exciting. We think like, this thing exists because it behaves in this very mysterious way where it just exists as space is being created, and mm-hmm. which is why you see this sort of like, tension um, happening now as opposed to before. 
Uh, yeah. But beyond that, if you ask me, I really don't have any idea as to like yeah. why it is like why it works mm-hmm. this way. And I think that's what makes it a very fascinating yes. topic to study. I mean, I think that's why we need people people to study astrophysics to figure figure things like this out. Yeah. So you you mentioned that um, uh, DESI, the dark energy spectroscopic instrument. Um, so in your paper, you talk about how um, there you know that that device is being used to ma- do a three D map of the universe. Right. Um, and I think you guys did a test of that. So. Um, what percentage of the universe do you guys essentially think that you'll be able to uh, get a 3D map of? Because even on Earth, like if we do, it's hard to get 3D maps of stuff. Uh, now we're talking about the universe. Unbeard, so unbeard, listen. I just, Borishal, where I was born, they just added my village to Google Maps. You're telling yeah. me you're going to you're gonna get Pluto on there and they just got Borishal? <laughs> <laughs> Well, my my uh, my uh, paternal grandparents are from uh, Piyotpur, so like right next to Borishal. So, <laughs> you know, I, I think we 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 definitely uh, yeah. Sometimes I feel like we look up and we find things, but like things closer to home, we're totally clueless about. <laughs> so, yeah, and I need that to geographers to figure out like what. No, to- you know, it's interesting, and this is. Uh, I think Sarah, we've spoken about this, but there's the depths of the ocean hasn't been conquered. So forget, forget outer space. There's plenty of things even within our own oceans that we haven't discovered. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, I'm from what you're saying, I'm from Silet. I think they just finished building the road from Silet to Dhaka. So, (laughs) and now they're thinking about, you know, mapping the universe. So it's pretty crazy. So what are your thoughts on that? Uh, Right. So, um, this will be, I think, what makes this project very exciting for me is uh, it will be the most precise uh, three-dimensional map of the universe to date, like once we finish. Um, and we're hoping to finish this project um, sometime in 2025. And okay. uh, to give you, I'll, I'll try to explain the volume in three different ways. Uh, Firstly, in terms of number, so we are planning to observe about uh, 30 million galaxies over five years. Like that's sort of like what the goal is. And that's why it's such an ambitious project. Uh, And not just like observe 30 million galaxies, but we want to observe each galaxy four times so that like we really can be sure of the data we collect. Uh, Mm -hmm. So you can think of it as like, uh, 30 times four, that's like 120 million unique like observational uh, points that we have. Mm-hmm. And um, so this is probably like the, like the largest uh, that, that we will have done because the previous experiments, uh, they're called SDSS and EBOS. Like they have, they're I think in the realms of like millions to like, like hundred thousands to a million. So we are increasing the number of galaxies that we're probing uh, by like a factor of like 10 to 20. Like that's, that's, a, that's a huge uh, achievement. But uh, to put it in context, if you remember what I said earlier, uh, we think there are about like 100 billion galaxies like that, that we roughly estimate. So mm-hmm. while, 20 mil- uh, while 30 million is a lot, and it does sound a lot, like uh, 
but 30 million over 100 billion is really like nothing. It's it's mm-hmm. really like we're probing like less than like less of like a tenth of a percentage. Mm-hmm. So that's like one one way to look at it. Um, but uh, the the interesting thing though is how like the, I think like one of the biggest challenges, and this is where like we we need like very smart statisticians and people like who are uh, like very well educated in in those areas is that we are trying to say something about the universe uh but we have we have like so little data like 30 million is not enough it's like you know if i told you like the the country of us has 300 million people and i told you you can uh, go and interview only one person and then you have to tell me what is the united states or how do people in the mm-hmm. uh, live like that's sort of like the challenge that we're we're, we're facing. Mm-hmm. so how do you design the experiment and I think that's like the place where like most of the innovation is going so to, to answer you the volume we're probing it will be the largest uh, it with respect to our technology but it's still not actually enough for us to really say that we have like covered um, like all the galaxies yeah yeah I mean it's still I mean it's just so ambitious um, and I think when you guys are done with your project, I think it's going to, it always changes, right? Yeah, whatever oh, yeah. you guys are doing. And once that paper is out, I think um, we'll probably see it in the news and um, it's going to change um, how we, how we view the universe. Um, and uh, speaking of like the size of the universe, um, I had a friend one time um, and I was trying, I'm not, I'm not a scientist, so I, I didn't know how to explain it. Um, so I was just Googling stuff, but um, you know, they say that the universe is somewhere between 13.7 and 14 billion years old, but the universe is, you know, you'll see in the news, oh, scientists see this um, galaxy, which is 10 billion light years away or 20 billion light years away. So the universe is uh, something like 90 billion light years across, if I'm not mistaken, I could be wrong. Um, So I was having trouble explaining to my friend like what that means, and I was Googling stuff, sending him photos, but he still didn't get it. So, like, how would you explain that to, let's say, like, a five-year-old or someone, like, uh, what does that mean when they see that, when they see something like that on the news? Yeah, I think this this is a really fascinating question, and I think even for me, um, I, I had to think about it and, like, really, like, look at the math, like, as a, as a senior undergrad to really convince myself, like, what's what's happening. Um, but to, uh, I think like qualitatively to explain this, um, if you remember what I said earlier is that we think that this thing called, uh, like dark energy exists and like we're all, we also think that the universe is expanding. And so the interesting thing about this expansion is that the, the, the object that's farther away from you is expanding at a faster rate than a thing that's closer to you. So um, if I'm looking at something that's 10, uh, 10 billion light years away, that has a higher uh, recession speed compared to things that, that is at 5 billion light years away from us. Mm-hmm. And what that really means is that like, if you do sort of like the math, you, like you can like sort of extrapolate this, right? Like let's say like the thing closest to me is moving at, I don't know, like 60 miles per hour. Then I go to a thing that's even farther away. Now that's moving at 100 miles per hour. 
you can keep going. And then eventually you will reach sort of the, like a, a point where you will see that the universe is expanding uh, faster than the speed of flight. Like, like mm. because if you do like a, like an ex, uh, extrapolation, that the farther the thing is, the faster it moves. And speed of light mm. is just another number, uh, so to speak. Um, and exactly. Now, what's, what's I think fascinating about this question is you, you will have a lot of people then ask, but I thought that speed of light is the ultimate speed. Like you can't really cross that. Then how can you have the universe be bigger? Because like light is traveling at the speed of 13.7 billion, right? Like that, that's what could have happened if the universe started off 13 billion years ago. Well, that ultimate limit applies to matter. Uh, the, the thing that applies to you and me, not to space itself. So space itself can expand at a faster rate than the speed of light. And that's what sort of like is happening uh, or what we think is happening like in the very periphery of what we call the visible universe is that like those parts of the universe are moving away even faster than like the speed of light, like the space over there is moving away. So as a result, uh, like, yes, it's only been 14 billion years, but the edges, so to speak, have been moving away at such speed that like the overall uh, diameter becomes 90 billion light years. Um, okay. And to contextualize this like really quickly with, the, with like our project, which is DESI, I mentioned that we're only probing 30 million galaxies out of the 100 billion. But the smart way we are trying to probe the volume is we try to like pick things that are farther, like some things that are really farther away, some things that are closer to us. And then we try to like use that as a way to really like understand like what's happening to like the farthest objects and then things that are closer to us. So in DESI, we're hoping to be able to map position of galaxies up like up to like 8 billion light years away. So that's okay. like sort of like what the, the, I think in terms of like volume, if you, so to speak, like actual physical mm -hmm. volume that we're trying to probe and, uh, mm -hmm. And one of the, the major questions we are trying to answer is how fast is the universe really expanding? So I think that that'll be, as you said, like in five years, hopefully we'll yeah. have a very precise answer for, for that question. Yeah. Hey, hey, so, uh, I'm curious. So, you know, Sar Sarah and I work in banking and oftentimes we'll watch a movie or a TV show that covers a banking or finance topic. And sometimes we go, oh, that's not really how it is. Or they're oversimplifying something that's really complicated. I'm curious, do you watch a movie or a TV show and go, mm, no, that's not really how it goes. Like, you know, can like Matt Damon really make like poop potatoes in Mars? Like, <laughs> I, do, you, do, you, do, you, do you think those kinds of, kinds of things to yourself? I, I actually do. Um, the, the thing is that uh, science fiction, I think along with these like popular science books, just like many people, like were the reason I, I got interested in astronomy in the first place. But sadly now I do like look at them and I just can't like feel but be like, ah, like I wish they, they made that uh, thing a little bit better. Um, but you, you picked like, I think the movie that I think is actually probably one of the, does like one of the best service oh, wow. to science, which is The Martian. Um, mm. I, I think, I, I think ultimately making movies or that kind of thing is art. So I think you do have some artistic license in terms of like bending reality a little bit. Otherwise it'll be, I think like science research, which is interesting, but I think can be boring. Like if, if you can't like yeah. really have that X factor to it. 
Uh, but what was that other one with uh, with George Clooney and Oh, Gravity? Gravity, yeah. and that made, honestly, you have to tell oh, me yeah. that made no. sense. Yeah. Because <laughs> George Clooney's like, like pumping his suit and he's moving right. around. I was like, there's no way that's possible. In space. Yeah. I think, weren't they flying through space at one point? Yeah. Um, yeah, it was... Yeah, like the number of, I think, shrapnels they had flying around. I was like, like yeah, like, bro, you, you, you would be, like, punctured, like, left and right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But, but um, you know, like the Mad Damon movie, the, the funny thing was th- two years ago, I went to uh, like the, the National Astronomy Conference. Uh, it's, it's the American Astronomical Society Conference. And there was actually a uh, botanist who came and who actually did research. And like the, 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 the title of the con- like the, his uh, paper was that was Matt Damon right in deciding to grow potatoes? Uh, the wow. answer was... Sadly, no, because like so they were uh, using soil from Utah, which I think for some reason is similar to Martian soil. I don't know like why that's the case. Like a geologist wow. would be able to answer that better. What they did find is that spinach would actually be a really good uh, crop to grow in Mars if we ever plan wow. doing that. So interesting. I think you know he probably just chose the wrong vegetable. But other than that, <laughs> yeah. Uh, it was an enjoyable movie. <laughs> yeah, you you do you think um, I, like uh, I know like they want to go to Mars. Like I think Elon Musk that he wants to go to Mars by like twenty twenty four or something like that. Yeah, and then like I hear things like they want to terraform Mars to make mm-hmm. it like Earth. Um, I mean I don't know. It's so ambitious. Like, do you think that's that's possible, or you know, what are your thoughts on that? Oh, I, I have so many thoughts because, as I said, it's it was like reading about the little green men on Mars that got that first made me want to become an astronaut. So I, I yeah, yeah. even though I don't study planets, I, I think I'll always have a soft spot for Mars because I think that's the planet that really inspired me to to get into this business. Yeah. Um, but I, I have mixed feelings. I of course really would love to be like alive when humans go and like. Uh, explore on Mars or explore Mars. I think that'll be fantastic. Um, however, I think, um, I, I don't know, like, I feel like uh, it probably should be done by either government or like some international organizations. I just feel a little bit iffy when it comes to private corporations trying to go because mm. I think there's always a motive to make money out of it. That's and true. I maybe that's just, I don't know, like the little kid in me still, but I feel like, mm-hmm. uh, like, let's not corrupt. Uh, the yeah. of the cosmos with our greed and desire so let's yeah. get to science and knowledge ca- as much as possible <laughs> i think well also i think what's what changed that what, what you're saying with the government is i think um like nasa they went uh the government they went to the moon um mm-hmm. first in 69 and they went a few times in the 70s and then after that um, I think it kind of stalled right. for like 30 years. And I, I think a private company coming out, it, yeah. it, it, it was inevitable because yeah. Yeah. we had slowed down so much right. in space exploration. But in terms of space exploration, um, like, do you, do you think, um, this is like sci-fi thought, yeah. but faster than light travel people talk about that um i i read it in like you know uh, i read it in various chats and stuff like that isn't that warp um, speed like, isn't that is that called warp speed 
Um, I think, uh, well, I don't know if it's called warp speed, but uh, you're going faster than light. It, it, is it something that's possible or, you know, uh, is it going to be something that's in our future? Um, what are your thoughts on that? So um, if you believe in general relativity, which, which, which I do pretty firmly because uh, so far, again, I, I really haven't had any reason to doubt it. Um, speed of light is sort of like this fundamental limit uh, for mm -hmm. things composed of matter in, in the universe. And as long as that is, that is a fact, uh, the sad thing is uh, no matter what technology we come up with, even like a million years from now, we mm -hmm. will just not be able to do it. Like that's just not going to um, happen. Um, uh, but, you know, if, if someone can come and someday, I don't know, prove uh, general relativity wrong, uh, maybe there is some scope uh, we'll, we'll, we'll have to see. Um, we'll probably need to discover like a new form of physics or something. Right, right. Yeah, and yeah. actually, interestingly, that is also part of like what we're trying to do with, with DESI, by the way, is we mm -hmm. are actually trying to look for deviations from general relativity in like the largest volume possible because mm -hmm. like all the experiments we have done for relativity so far has been in the realms of like Earth or, you know, even like the black holes, like the images that you probably saw on the news, uh, like last year, uh, uh -huh. uh, like the, the pictures that were taken. But yeah. these are things that are big, but still compared to the size of the universe, they're still pretty small. So mm -hmm. there, like there are some scientists who think that there is no such thing as dark energy, but it's really that we're, we're like, like uh, there's this like weird situation where the gra force of gravitation in the very largest scale, like this, uh, around like the size of the universe, like behaves very differently, uh, and that sort of like mimics what dark energy is. But in small scales, like like in the size of like us or black holes, it appears to agree with relativity. So okay, uh, that's actually one thing where we because we will be probing such like large volume, uh, mm -hmm. we think that we might have like a competitive statement to make like five years down the line is mm -hmm. what precision do we think relativity is right or wrong wow. or, or, or inaccurate? So, wow. so uh, I guess like stay tuned uh, for, yeah. for the results. So, yeah. so back to what you were saying about relativity. So Einstein, he's, he spoke about something called um, well, it's a spooky action at a distance mm -hmm. where it was like, um, I think they measured uh, some quantum particles and they saw uh -huh. that the particles um, interacted with each other in such a way where they could be light years apart right. and they were able to somehow communicate with each other. It's right. like me uh, communicating with someone on the other side of the earth without them knowing, or, you know, it was just, he called it spooky action at a distance because they couldn't right. explain that. And potentially that being faster than light, um, some sort of communicative method. Like what are your thoughts on that? Uh, yeah, so this is uh, something which is in the realms of uh, quantum physics. So I, I will preface this by saying I, I'm not a quantum physicist. So my mm -hmm. knowledge comes from, um, I guess, taking classes. So I'll, I'll try to like explain um, at, 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 like through through that, like what I understand. So you're absolutely right that like what Einstein saw, uh, and to ex expand on this a little bit further, like they were seeing situations where you take like two electrons or two atoms and then mm -hmm. you, uh, like quote unquote, like mix them. And then if you were to separate them and measure a certain property 
of of like one, you would be instantly be able to tell like what the property of the other um, thing is. Um, and this is weird because in quantum realm, you might have heard that things always happen in terms of probability. Like there is no certain, mm-hmm. and that's why he thought of this as a spooky action at a distance that things mm-hmm. were still happening so deterministically. Um, if even though these objects are very uh, probabilistic or, or like we don't really know like what they're doing um, mm. at that level. Um, the, the, I think the closest analogy I found to explain um, entanglement, which sort of like gets rid of this idea of like weird communication, because one thing quantum physicists will tell you is that entanglement will not like like travel uh, will not be able to take information from one place to another like it, you okay. will be able to send messages faster than and this is where like speed of light comes into play again because mm-hmm. we say that no information can travel faster than speed of light like that's like really the technical term we use in physics is okay. is that like for any information like if if you have like information in point a and if you want to infor- inform someone in point b light is the fastest way to, to communicate that information. Uh, but how do you then explain like this thing? It's kind of like, imagine that I take like a sack and I have a red uh, glove and I have a blue glove and I go to Sarwar's house. I, I tell him to pick a glove without like taking a look. And I tell him, don't open your eyes. And then I take the other glove and I, I leave it at Cumbrell's place and I tell like come like not to not to take a look. Now, if I ask you what is the prob- what is the probability that Kumrul has the blue glove, you will say 50-50 because it's either blue or red. Um, but the moment like Sarwar makes a measurement, by measurement I really mean you open your eyes and you see what your gloves, what the color of your gloves are, you immediately know like what the gloves, what the color of the gloves uh, for, for Kumrul will be. And so you could think of entanglement as that way, is that like the properties get mixed in a way that if you like make a measurement here, you know like what Kamrul has, even though Kamrul never told you to begin with like what the color of the glove is. It's sort of like that kind of like logic that that comes mm-hmm. to play like for for something like this. Um, yeah, like that's I think like the 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 best explanation I found. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, again, I, I'm no expert. By, yeah, I, I thought I thought Jada Smith made up that word. I'm not gonna <laughs> lie. <laughs> Listen. Well, I'm looking at Cam right now, and I'm thinking <laughs> spooky action at a distance. Who <laughs> um, <laughs> says uh, science can't be fun? Yeah, I mean, I think the way you're explaining things, uh, yeah. you're making science fun, and I think it's yeah. it's it's about. Um, I think it's about getting the future interested in the topic because yeah. uh, a lot of kids like uh, they they'll find science boring, but I think we need more people like you, especially yeah. even the Bengali uh, community um, uh, who might you know not be as interested in this topic because uh, you know in Bangladeshis uh, we become doctors and that's about it. But you know it's pretty uh, unique what the field that you went into. Yeah, I think also like growing up, Sarah and I both, I know we're big fans of Bill Nye the Science Guy, just because he made it funny and interesting. Yeah. And it's really important to do that because it can't just be like, you know, memorizing things. You have to kind of show things um, 
in, in a way that's, that's easy to understand. I'm curious what your family thinks about what you're doing. Do they understand? Like, do they, do they understand quantum entanglement or are they interested? Uh, so um, I think I've been very lucky uh, because my parents have always been very supportive of me wanting to go into this field. Um, I, I have, um, I've heard from friends uh, that you know, like there, like there is that pressure of either becoming a doctor or an engineer. Uh, but I think even even though I'm a I'm a I'm a Bengali kid, uh, for me it's sort of a foreign concept because like I told my parents very early on in my life that I wanted to do this, and they have been very encouraging. Uh, they have never really said no. Um, so I really I really am like very grateful to to, to them. And in fact, like the reason um, we. We decided to move here because because I think you know like I, I think a lot of um, um, first generation and second generation uh, Bangladeshi Americans and Bengali Americans can relate to this is that uh, like you know like like if your parents are a little bit older uh, like they have this hesitation do do we want to like leave the country that we know the language we speak like the family like the friends and move to a completely different place uh, but for for my parents ultimately they decided to move here because. In their mind, like this was the only place where I could get that education to become an astronomer. Like that was not mm -hmm. going to happen in Bangladesh. I that would just have been a dream. Um, so I think in terms of that, I think that just I think shows and speaks volumes to like my parents' sacrifice uh, mm -hmm. to make this dream a reality. And I feel very grateful to, to them for that. Um, as for like the actual science, I I. Uh, like we we have the conversations, and I think like some like some of the things they they understand, I think, but some of the things that I think it's just a lot of information to to process uh, at certain times. Uh, but um, that's also something I feel like I've been becoming more aware of and trying to like do like do some changes. Um, and what I have been uh, trying to do with, with another uh, Bengali, a uh, uh, colleague of mine who is part of Desi is we recently started to translate like some of like the Desi website, like web pages into Bengali because uh, oh. we felt nice. that we owe it to like our community and to everyone mm -hmm. like who made it possible for us to be here. And it's sad that if we can't share that joy of like discovering the cosmos back with like our family mm -hmm. and you know, like there are 300 million Bengali speakers throughout the world. So Mm -hmm. It's just, I feel like a very untapped potential. So yeah. I think like with my parents and I try to like, uh, it's also a good way for me to like get back to like writing in, in Bangla or to like practice Bangla, uh, try to like uh, explain, okay, does that make sense? Or, you know, uh, mm. things like that. So I think I'm trying to like get better at it. <laughs> trying to like communicate with my parents what I do. Uh, but uh, yeah, the hope is like I can, I can keep improving um, that. Uh, that's Here's pretty, an important. That's our. No, I was gonna say that's pretty amazing that you're you're translating it into Bengali. Like, do they do they have like astrophysics uh, departments in schools? Is that even a topic um, that someone can study uh, in Bangladesh universities? Um, as far as I'm aware, no. And that was like one of the things that uh, made me really sad um, initially mm. as I was growing up that. I thought that if I couldn't come abroad, I wouldn't be able to really study astrophysics. But of course, mm -hmm. as an international student, um, you might know like, 
like paying the full tuition is just not like that was not something that I, I could even dream of. Like my parents, uh, like like were like uh, like like middle class family like back in Taka. Um, so this really like I think worked out for us like to be able mm-hmm. to come here. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Get get the education. <laughs> One question I wanted to uh, end on, it's maybe a little, little bit controversial, so uh, let us know what you think, is how do you reconcile everything you know about science, obviously you're, you're well studied, with religion, right? Because some, in some ways it does contradict uh, what we're taught in religion. So how do you, how do you, how do you sort of reconcile that? Yeah, I think that's a, that's that's a good question, and I feel like I also I think thought about this question among like when I saw it in the list, like whether I wanted to like tackle it or not. Um, but I think that um, I agree with you. Like I think like the more I read like fundamental physics and fundamental science, I couldn't help but uh, like question a lot of like the inherent beliefs I had like like growing up because I think. For, for most of us, like, uh, I think, like, religion is something that you inherit from your parents rather than, like, really sitting down and going through, like, dialectics and trying to, like, figure it out on your own. Um, but I think um, the, the short answer is uh, I don't think I was ever really able to reconcile the, 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 the dilemma that you're, that you're pointing at. Um, so I think to me, I feel like ultimately the, the question of, uh, like religion and things like that, I leave it to the realm of like spirituality, like whether you are a spiritual person or not, and whether you, you, uh, it, because I think like that's sort of like, to me, like, a like, or at least I see it as a way of life is that like, how do you, um, like, do you think like having this this guiding principles like makes you a better person, and can you actually uh, be a better people to others, like and help society? And it, and in terms of that, I sort of like, I guess, see like the the the, the functional value, so to speak. But in terms of like, like my my own thoughts, I I feel like. Yeah, like the dilemma, I think, like never really disappeared, uh, just because I think some of the things I read, it's it becomes a little confusing at times uh, in terms of like being able to uh, really say that, like, can I with like hundred percent conviction say that? Oh, like I also believe in in this other um, idea. So yeah, um, and um, I I know like you know like especially. Uh, I, I feel like in, in our communities, it might be like a very like controversial or dicey topic. E- even for me, I don't think like apart from friends, I have really like spoken about this uh, in public. So in some sense, like this is uh, like first time I'm like really talking about this like in an in open setting. Um, but I feel that maybe it's also then important for us to uh, destigmatize, I guess, people who might not have been able to necessarily like completely <laughs> reconcile their dilemma for whatever reason yeah. that is. So, yeah. Yeah. I, and I wasn't expecting you to have like a, a yeah. perfect answer to it. Cause I don't, uh, I don't know anyone that does. Um, you know, my approach to religion has always been that it's like you said, spiritual and also everything we learn in, in our religion is 
I've always felt is to, to be allegorical. So, and also I think that if, let's say my, my, my mom is telling me something, if she's told me something all my life, let's say yeah. she said, you know, I, every time I throw away a pot, it's going to come back to bite me and turn yeah. into a snake and bite me. Like if bite me when I'm passed away, like if I know that's false, does that mean everything else my mom taught me is false? Like, I, I don't think so. Right. So I don't, yeah. I don't think like I would put all of it under one umbrella, but also just, I think generally it's allegorical, um, a lot of, and it's not like, and I also don't think a lot of religion is meant to be a history lesson, meaning X, Y, Z happened, and then X, Y, Z happened, and then X, Y, Z happened. I think it's all allegorical to teach us a lesson to make us better people. And in that regard, in the fact that it does attempt to make us better people, I think it's, um, and I think that's the great thing about religion. Um, Yeah. Yeah. But I think, so this is a really cool conversation. I feel like we can go go even longer we could have a part two i know sarah has a lot more scientific questions that we can go for longer yeah. but i really appreciate um you know you coming on and talking and i would actually love to do this part two uh but this is great it's a, cool, a really cool conversation yeah no yeah, i, I, I had a great time, uh talking to uh, both of you about this and um i i always enjoy talking about this and i think uh like first time I found out about like Bengalis of New York, like it, like for me, it was very exciting. And just to, I think, like get to, get to know uh, you and like through like attending like the book club and, and uh, like other events, uh, because as I said, like I, I am a very new uh, compared to like many Bengali Americans, a, a new uh, immigrant uh, to this country. I only became a citizen a couple of years ago, but in some sense, I feel like, um, uh, like New York, uh, and I have also like not really lived in the city of New York per se for 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 too long because of college and grad school. But it is a place which did make my parents still feel ho- like home, even though they had to leave mm-hmm. Dhaka. And I feel that connection to New York, and I feel that connection to all the Bengalis of New York because I think every time I go back, I I see like my family, and I see like my family and like all the all the Bengalis over there. So um, I just wanted to like thank you uh, both for you know like doing this because I think it's it's very important to have a like a, a conversations like this and have a community feeling like this where where we we have a space to like share our own own thoughts and uh, opinions. Yeah, representation is really important, and I'm glad that we have a Bengali representing us at Harvard studying astrophysics. So super proud of that too. So thank you. Appreciate it. Thanks, Sarwar. Sarwar, great co-host. All right, cool. Thanks. All over the world uh, is the bony show. Uh, hey, can you handle this? Representing the boroughs where the bangles live. From the slang we spit to the gangs we with. It doesn't matter, we the essence of the Bangladesh. I say, hey, come on, can you handle this? Representing the boroughs where the bangles live.